Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, or it may be morning or night. I don't know where you are and what time it is or what day you're listening to this, but here right now on July 27, 2018, it is Friday afternoon at 2.24 p.m. Eastern Time. So it is good afternoon for me. So you can tell already what kind of mood I'm in. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. And again, it's Friday, so things get a little bit crazy on Friday, and I've been the only one in the office today, so woo, it's a little it's a little crazier than usual. All right, so we're going to start today's show with a quick question from a parent. I got this via email today, and I thought it was so great. I thought we would lead with this, but it's not enough for a whole show. We're still going to do the topic that we established last week, which is using the four big areas of focus for toddlers, like talking toddlers or toddlers with language delays and disorders, and what we work on. We're still going to talk about that using a really cool activity like water play, but before we get to that, I want to do this question because I think it's so relevant. So here's what she says, this mom. I just purchased your book in the hopes that I can help my son talk. He's 22 months now and has no words. He does have a few animal sounds, but they are all ah sounds for bear, lion, or tiger. I'm not, and here's the point that's so great. And again, I want you to hear this if you're a parent or a therapist. I'm going to talk about it from both perspectives. I'm just not too impressed with my speech therapist. Boy, as a therapist, that gets me right in the heart. So (laughs) all of us have had parents that just aren't quite sure about us. And so it just me from the beginning and again if you're a parent if you're in that situation we're going to talk about what could be going on if you're a therapist hey I'm not hanging you out to dry because I'm just like you so we're going to talk about that too but she here she goes on she says but I'm not sure if I'm expecting too much she just seems to sort of bring toys and then repeat words like in or up she did teach him to sign open but she also claps his hands for more and if he wants something Sometimes he's not into the toys she has, and I think he also gets overwhelmed by her and then will sort of check out or run away from her. And here's the kicker. He can attend pretty well for our developmental therapist, though, and so I'm wondering, is it her or is it common to not enjoy speech therapy? Again, dagger through the heart. (laughs) She said, I thought it should be fun for kids and not stressful. I'm losing hope. Maybe your book can help. He does have some mild sensory stuff, too, for which he sees an OT for, like he never likes to swing or doesn't like vibrating things, but other times he does like to be pulled around on a blanket or seeks input. It's just a combination. She says, I'm not really sure what I'm asking, but I guess I want to know if sometimes SLPs are not a good fit or is it just my kid? Woo, this is loaded. It's just loaded, isn't it? Okay, so let's talk about this. First, let's go from the parent's perspective. Here's what's interesting to me. She's not saying that the child doesn't connect with the OT. She doesn't say anything about that. But she does say that he attends pretty well for the developmental therapist. So there is a time when he can attend. And therapy apparently is going better for DT and for OT than for speech. And again, as a speech pathologist, dagger through the heart because I always think, gosh, for late talkers, we have the most to offer kids. We, you know, our our sessions should be the best, you know, the highlight of the week. But at, uh, realistically, though, here's the truth. If a kid is struggling with communicating, if he's a late talker, has a delay, or a, especially if there's a disorder, a developmental disorder, a language disorder, speech is the hardest thing that he has to do. 
And so naturally, it's going to be a little more challenging for him in speech than it would be, say, in OT, if they're just doing lots of sensory stuff. And again, I'm not ragging on the OTs either and saying, gosh, you guys have it easier than us. I'm not doing that, but I'm just saying, think about it for a minute. When something is hard for you, are you always at your best peak performance? Absolutely not. We all avoid things that are hard. We we struggle. We have a you know just a more difficult time. So naturally, it's going to be a little more challenging for this child to participate and for mom to watch. However, because he's connected pretty well to, with the DT, and my guess would be that she's also working on some language. It can be really confusing for a parent. And then they start to think, is this just a personality thing? And like her question was, is this a good fit? And so as a parent, you've got to kind of step back and look at it as objectively as you can. And hardly any of us are objective about people we love, especially our own children. And so you have to really, really think, you know, should I try a new therapist to see if I can get an SLP that he has a better connection with? Should I just give it some more time? As a parent, you know what I would say in this situation is, jump right in and make it better. Don't just leave the poor girl hanging out to dry. (laughs) Say to her things like, oh, (coughs) excuse me, he responds better when you do this, or this is an activity he really seems to like, or hey, let me try that with him. You just sit back and kind of give me some ideas. And again, that's not a coaching model works for situations like this when you have a child that you don't really connect that well with. And it happens to all of us. And again, sometimes kids just are really super, super hard to engage, and every therapist is going to really struggle with that. But because there are some differences, enough differences for this mom to email me uh, and ask a question, so she's gone out of her way, you know, you really need to kind of step back and think, is this going to be worth a therapist change? Because sometimes it is. And, again, that's all of us as therapists. We've all been fired. Every bit of us, every one of us, it, it's just like picking a hairdresser or a mechanic or a doctor or even a restaurant. Sometimes you just have a better fit or a better better feel with another person, and that's okay when that happens. Sometimes it's, again, too, it's that the therapist doesn't even really know that the child is having a better connection or better progress with another therapist. And so sometimes it just takes a parent saying, Hey, I don't I don't want to hurt your feelings here or anything like that, but I'm I'm concerned because he's not having as much success in speech as I'm seeing with his other therapies. And again, you try not to make that too personal. You don't want someone to feel like you are really being overly critical. And my goodness, when that has happened to me, oh, your feelings get hurt. They really do. But sometimes it's what a therapist needs to hear because they need to know, hey, I need to bump this up. I need to try something different. This is, you know, this is not working. And let me say one other thing. This little guy is, he's learned some signs. And so what I would encourage this therapist to do is double down on that and really explain to mom how difficult it is to learn to talk based on what characteristics she's seeing in this little guy. She might see markers for something else that again would make say verbal imitations super difficult so if he's and mom expects him to be popping out these words that she's saying and he just may not be ready and so the therapist may need to be explaining hey i'm really working on receptive language here or oh he's got some verbal imitation problems so we need to back up and work at that play sound level you know he's got that one sound that ah That also kind of makes me curious to think if he has other markers for other things. And if you're a therapist like me, you're probably thinking, 
explore apraxia or I hope you are and again some therapists are real diagnosis and when kids have markers we need to address it not pretend like it doesn't exist so there's some things that that therapist could do differently if she knew that mom felt like hey I wish this were going better and so that's up to you as a parent to be able to share that information in a non-threatening non-judgmental way especially if you don't if you're not ready to make a therapist change and again I would just really really encourage you to think about that and try to work out with your current therapist because sometimes it takes a while to get a new person and you'll have a break in services and you don't want that either so try these other things first is what I would say to any parent who's kind of struggling with that the second thing let me just address this with therapists and again I've said a little bit man all of us boy it hurts it hurts our feelings when uh, we get replaced on a case. And and if it happens all the time to you, you know, I hope you're swallowing really hard right now. <laughs> because it shouldn't happen all the time. It should just be occasionally. You should be able to kind of get in there and figure out, this is what I need to do. And if it's not going well with a family or with a kid, you should be explaining that to parents and just saying, hey, man, whoo, this is hard. I'm really having some, some uh, difficulty here figuring out what approach is going to work. You know, and you talk about things like, we better back up. I don't think it's developmentally there yet to be able to talk. Let's let's explore signing a little bit, and let's look at these other markers. So you've got to talk to parents. And let me just say, too, because I've been in this position with the website for 10 years now, and when I have seen children, especially kids that are coming from out of town, and I don't currently, I don't currently see any out of town kids right now, but when they would, parents would come in and they think, oh, this therapist, you know, she's she's on the Internet. She's got this website and she's got this YouTube channel she's written these books boy she's just going to have a magic wand and I'm going to walk in here and my kid's just going to be great and he's going to be talking by the time we leave pressure is that you know so you have to really manage those expectations with parents too so you have to really really talk about you know now <laughs> this is not magic this is science this is a a process of changing your child's neurological structure so that he's able to learn to talk. And so you talk about the markers. You talk about the things that you're not seeing. You talk about your concerns. You talk about what you're trying and not trying. And you really explain what's happening to your parents so that they don't feel like you are a loser, <laughs> that you don't know what you're doing. So you have to really, really be careful about that. And so as therapists, and here's the thing, too. I've had children that I've suggested to mom, hey, you know, if if there's some kind of uh, a child has a need that I know that I'm not great with. Like I stopped doing feeding, oh gosh, probably 15 years ago because I knew that I wanted to specialize in language. It might have been longer than that now that I think about it. But when I had a kid that had a lot of feeding needs, I would just say, hey, let me talk to you about these two or three other therapists because I'm really focusing on language because I'm going to be super good in this area. And so I, I can't be great at everything. And so let me let me just uh, give you a therapist who has uh, more time and more interest in treating feeding than I currently do because of all that I've got going on professionally. And so you just switch. Sometimes you have to say, man, your kid hates me. <laughs> I've done everything I know to do. And let's see if somebody else wouldn't be a better fit, you know, and you do it that way. Or like I said, you do coaching and you say to mom, hey, I know it's tough. I know that he is not responding to me as well as I would like for him to. But guess what? He was to you. So let me 
tell you, let me coach you. Here's what I want you to do. And again, that's where that coaching model really, really works. So I wanted to just address this at the beginning of the show because I think it is a really important question. And I think that we need to address these things. And I think, too, when a therapist, and that could prevent you from getting fired, for lack of a better word, or replaced. And again, if this is happening to you frequently as a therapist, you know, again, it takes a long look in the mirror to think, what can I do? Now, sometimes when you're new and you're going in a well-established place and it's easy to get a lot, uh, easy to get another therapist or there's somebody that, you know, the service coordinators love and, you know, you just feel like, gosh, I'm just fighting losing battle here. I've got to keep every kid I can because I'm not getting very many referrals or you're just, you're new, you're a brand new grad or say you've worked with adults or school age kids and you're switching to EI and you've got to have some time to learn. So give yourself a break on that. But if you're getting replaced a lot, you've got to really, really think about what you can do differently. And a lot of that, guys, I promise, it's not so much what you're doing with the kid. I mean, it is, but it isn't. You've got to really talk to a parent and say, here's what I'm seeing. Here's what's happening. Let's talk about this. He's not ready to talk yet. That's a long-term goal, as I like to say. Let's talk about these other prerequisite things that we're going to be working on. And you just address it right away, and you don't, let, you don't wait, you know, scared until mom tells you that she's unhappy or until you get that call that you're no longer seeing this child. You address it. You address it up front. And let me just say, too, if you've taken my Is It Autism course, you saw little Drew on there. And Drew was the kid, again, that, hated me oh my goodness we had such a hard time making a connection but the truth is he had a hard time with everybody he loved his OT because she was center-based and they got to do a lot of cool stuff and again things that weren't that hard for him as hard as communicating but it can be done I mean you can just keep on working and and that mom was so gracious and she knew her she knew what a hard and this little boy had autism what a hard time he had connecting with other people but I did a lot with her and so if you've never seen that course get yourself a copy because the box you through that coaching model and nearly everything with him on that course on that dvd that whole through that whole process is mom driven and I'm sitting there you know doing what we do when we coach you know try this say this you know all the things that we do and so again super super valuable piece of information for you if you're not sure how that should look or what that feels like and let me just say too coaching gets easier as you do it longer so again there's a learning curve don't beat yourself up just keep trying as best you can and sometimes you'll have to just kind of do a coach treat with mom (laughs) where you're both sitting there and that's actually preferable well you're both doing the activities and so you say to mom hey I'm going to sh- I'm going to do this a time or two and show you how to do it but then I want you to do it because he's going to work better for you than for me and again parents love that because then they can carry over those activities and it's not um, you know they they have the bulk then of the responsibility with of what's happening with their child in therapy they are a partner with you and so that's always 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 the best kind of uh, situation and so even if you're struggling with a kid you can turn it around just by getting mom and dad or dad or even a sibling more involved and it will feel better to everybody I promise all right so let's move on to the topic that we're supposed to talk about today which is faith show now this week's show is 345 I believe I just typed that number yep 345 so if you've not listened to show 344 
in that show, we talked about a framework for treating children who are late talkers or toddlers with uh, language disorders. And so it doesn't really matter what a kid's diagnosis is. We need a plan, which was the name of last week's show, to make sure that we're not missing anything. So I like to think about this framework with four big areas. And we're not going to repeat last week's show, but let's just think about the four areas. Social skills, meaning how a child engages and connects with you. Receptive language, meaning how well he understands the words he hears. The third area is, uh, is expressive language. How does he say what he wants? And also included in that expressive category would be those alternative systems like signing or like pictures or like a speech generating device. So expressively, that's the third area. And again, that's the talking piece. But look, there are two other really important pieces that come first. And then lastly, speech intelligibility. How well do we understand what a child tries to say? So if you didn't hear the show last week, again, go back and listen to it. If you're more of a reader, and you want to just kind of do the, the summary part, I put a post about that on Teach Me to Talk, and right now it's the, if you're listening right now, if you're listening, again, end of July, August 2018, it should be the first or second, third, maybe post at teachmetotalk.com if you want that written summary, or if you're on my email list, and you should be, <laughs> uh, you got that as a written summary in today's email, so go back and look at that, but review that Review those areas, social skills, receptive language, which is, is closely linked to cognition, and we talked about that last week on the show, then expressive language and speech intelligibility. So my goal for this next couple of weeks is to take really common activities or toys and then walk through how we would look at each of these four areas and how we would treat a child or a whole caseload of children with this one activity but when everybody has different goals so the first thing we're going to do is talk about water play now there's all kinds of stuff you can do with water play and again there's an older therapy tip of the week that I did oh gosh several years ago with water play so go to YouTube or go to teach me to talk and look for that if you need some ideas but or there's some great ideas in let's talk about talking. So let's that that's a therapy manual that I released in 2017, and it's a whopper. If you haven't gotten it yet, you know, and we don't even keep it in stock all the time. We get it and then we sell it out and then we wait a little bit and sell it out again because it's so hard to produce. But in that book, let's talk about talking. There's a great little routine that I use for water play that I'm going to talk about that will use this as the foundation for our activity for today so it's just going to it's super simple and you don't want to discount the uh, success of simplicity especially with babies and toddlers and preschoolers because they're so young and sometimes we try to make things too hard and too complicated and all of that so yada 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 this game though again is um, really really easy and so it's just the squeeze routine and so what you do for this game is that you sit, and if you're a parent, you can do this at home in the bathtub or the kitchen sink. If you're a therapist and aren't in a home setting, you may have to get, you'll have to get yourself a little plastic container. I use it sometimes with a teeny tiny little Barbie pool that I have, and a lot of times I'll just use it with a Rubbermaid container, but you can do it anywhere. You can do it in the pool. If a child has a baby pool in his backyard and you want to go outside, it's a great little routine to do. So you get the child's attention by calling his name, 
and you have a cloth or a sponge there and you do something with the cloth or the sponge to get him to notice you and I say that you know and again I've got this you know my crazy big eyes and my facial expressions that I'm really over the top doing it and you say something like you know oh look 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 what we're gonna do watch and then you swirl the cloth around or you dunk the sponge I like using a car wash sponge you dunk it down in the water and then you bring it up before you lose the kid's attention and for some kids this has to be super quick because they are so busy and they are going to run like everything away from you so you've got to do it so fast and so uh, be so animated with it so that they want to stay with you. But you just pull the cloth up, and then you take both your hands, and you excitedly say, squeeze. And again, I'm saying S-Q-U-E-E-Z-E, squeeze. But I always do it in that kind of skimmy <laughs> way, you know, squeeze, because kids love it. And sometimes even when they're not really into me as we're playing, they like it when I say that word because it is very novel and really an attention getter. And then what you have to do is really react to the water falling. And I, it's such an easy idea that children who have been minimally verbal, meaning they only say a few things, or even nonverbal, have tried to imitate the ee, which is fantastic for vowel differentiation. And we'll get to that in a minute when we talk about speech intelligibility. Easy, easy game. You can play it over and over and over. And here's what we're going to talk about with the goals that you can target. So let's just start with that first area of focus. Now, what was that? Here, here's the test. Pop quiz. What was that first area of focus that we talked about? Social skills. So social and interaction skills. So how connected is a child? How engaged? So this is a fantastic game for treating that because, one, you've got that attention getter there. And we'll talk about attention in just a minute. But for right now, let's stick with social interaction, so things like eye contact, things like joint attention. And so remember, when we're working on that, as the child is watching the water with the cloth, and even before then, when you're just trying to get his attention, you can manipulate that physical environment and get your face within his line of vision. So if he is taller than you are sitting on the floor, you might have to get up on your knees so that your face is just directly across from him, and you're going to put the water with the cloth of the sponge, you're going to hold that just right above your head, just maybe right, you know, almost forehead height, so that the child can see your eyes and your face as he's watching the water. And sometimes it is amazing when you're doing this because you feel like he has never looked at me like this before. Oh, look at this. And that's what I'll say sometimes to parents, like, oh, my goodness, look at this great eye contact that we're getting here. And so be sure that you're doing that. So you can certainly, certainly, certainly work on eye contact and, again, join attention. How is he staying with you? When you put the cloth back down in the water to do it again, be sure that you're pointing at the cloth. And so he learns to follow your point. You're, you're providing that visual joint attention. So great, great way to work on social engagement. Let's go back and talk about the attention span piece. And I always think about this as a cognitive skill because attention, that's, that's where uh, psychologists and educators really think about attention as a piece of cognition. Now, our OT friends will certainly think about that as a part of sensory regulation, how well can this child pay attention. And it's just absolutely necessary for learning language that a kid be able to stay and play. And that's a phrase that I coined for let's talk about talking. And if you have that book, it's in there. But it's so important that we think about that piece first with attention and participation. They're not going to learn how to talk when they're running away. 
They're not going to learn how to sign when they are doing everything they can to get away from you. So you've got to get that attention and participation piece first. So this is a great, great activity for that because the water is so fun for all little kids. So be sure that you are thinking about working on attention with that. And you may have to alter the sequence or the duration of your turns as well so that you're going super fast for a while and then you slow it down a little bit and then you can work on this next little piece which is turn taking so this game is a super low pressure way to teach early turn taking and again that's the basis for interaction the you do it I do it you do it I do it piece the reciprocity piece so for this of course, this means that you're going to give the child his own turn with the cloth or the sponge. Now, most kids are going to do better if you share the same cloth so that you do it and then you, you hand the uh, cloth to the child and help him put it in the water and then let him do it and then take it back and you do a turn. And your turn needs to be about two seconds <laughs> so that you don't lose him. So you may have to just squeeze out the remaining water or just quickly dump it down and pick it back up. Anything that you can do to be sure that the child is going to stay with you. And if you take, you know, a whole freaking minute for your turn, you're going to lose the kid. You're going to lose any kid. They're going to find somebody else and something else to play with. So make it super quick, especially for these children who have those micro attention spans so that turn-taking piece is super important and again it's one of the 11 prerequisite skills that all toddlers master before words emerge you've got to have a decent attention span and good turn-taking before kids really get that whole I got to listen piece or this is my part of this activity so an interactive piece where they're including you and they're doing things with you. So this kind of easy, no pressure, low pressure way with you do it, I do it, you do it, I do it, super, super way to work on that skill. And again, as a therapist, that's what you need to be documenting that you're working on, this pre-linguistic skill of term taking. So super, super way to do that. All right, that was the social piece. Let's move on to receptive language. This is the second piece. And remember we talked about that receptive language goes hand in hand with cognition and cognition remember that goes hand in hand with play so we're kind of lumping all these things together how well does the child follow directions in play that means that you're going to how well does he comply does he do what you've asked him to do and don't think about this in terms of behavioral compliance meaning again that you know he's going to follow the rules Think about it in terms of, does he understand what I'm trying to get him to do? Does he understand my words? And kids always understand nonverbal directions before they understand verbal directions. So do lots of pointing and gesturing. And, again, use your face and your tone of voice to keep him with you and help him understand what you're doing. But you have to move on to those words, too. So what are some commands you can teach a child or words you can teach a child? Certainly in. So put it in. You know, when you're talking about the cloth, if he starts swinging it around or whatever or before his next turn, you're going to say, oh, let's do it again and put it in. The cloth goes in or sponge or whatever you're using. So following some directions. If you swirl the cloth around in the water, which toddlers think is so fun and they like it, that's the thing you'll say. You know, spin or swirl or whatever you want your action word or your verb to be there. You can certainly do that. If somebody else is there, if mom is there or dad, you say, oh, let's give it to mama. Let mama have a turn. That's following a direction, so you can certainly think about that. With a washcloth or sponge, you can also do some things with body parts here with receptive language. You can, you know, take a little break after a little bit and say, hey, let's wash your hands and then wash your knees, wash your face, uh, wash your elbow, wash your belly. Think about the things that you can do with receptive language after you've gotten this, this 
routine going after he's done it 10 times and you think you're about to loosen that might be something that you switch to to extend the duration of this activity a little bit so great great way to work on receptive language too all right so let's talk about the third big piece here which is expressive language so we can't start with words though remember that <laughs> remember that little piece that i say every single week or everything that i write or uh, that you read at teachmetotalk.com, we always start with expressive language with how well does the child imitate because that process of imitation is usually why most children who are not talking can't talk yet. And so we look at, again, how does this kid imitate? And we always start with imitating actions. And we've already talked about a couple of those things, like we just talked about the receptive language, the things, the commands that a child could follow. So, you know, spin the cloth, pick it up put it in, those kinds of things. You model the action and see if the child will model the action after you. And here's the point where you might introduce a second cloth or a second sponge to see if the child will copy you and do exactly what you're doing. And again, that, that imitation piece is critical. And so you've got to model some actions and see if the child is going to try to copy that action. And that forms the basis for I learned that I can do what you do, and that gets a child ready to repeat the words that you say. And that's how all kids learn how to talk. And sometimes imitation might be immediate where you say it, he says it, you say it, he says it. That's actually ideal. But sometimes it's delayed. So you might model, model, model a word for a long time or even an action for several times and then away or you do something else or you write start kind of writing a little note or something else happens you start talking to mom and then boom the kid does it so that delayed invitation look for that especially when this is a brand new activity so great great way to get that early invitation going which is a part of expressive language you know of course you're going to look at any little play sounds that you could do of course, you're going to look at a new target word like squeeze. And again, we talked about how successful that will be for some kids because it's such a novel word. And let me just say that if a child really is minimally verbal, listen carefully for those first few verbal attempts. Most of the time, it's going to begin when the child makes any kind of vowel sound. Or what it, if some kids may not be great with vowels, they, you may hear more consonants. Or it may be an incorrect vowel. It's just an approximation. They may say, ah, oh, for squeeze. But you can tell by their volume and their intonation, they're really trying to imitate you. They're trying to say squeeze. So listen carefully and give kids credit. Reinforce, praise, <laughs> react with pleasure. So that a child will want to do that again for you and you can certainly target other kinds of things you can target signs with this you withhold the cloth and you know tell, say you're gonna have to whatever your requesting word and you don't be afraid to use a general requesting sign like more or please even though sometimes other speech folks beat that in your head that you shouldn't start with that I start with it every darn time because it's so functional and so useful for parents. Now, you can't leave a kid there at signing more, please, because it is very, very general. We need children to learn more specific signs, but at the same time, you need to get in there and make progress as fast as you can. And if you give mom or dad uh, a sign that they can use in almost every single daily routine, at the beginning of therapy, it's going to make a big difference. And then you say to parents, listen, we can't let him get stuck here. We've got to move him along with his signs, but I'm going to teach you this one just to get things started. And that really sets the whole foundation for and, and erases that whole argument 
that we shouldn't use those general requesting words. So you can do more please or signs, signs or words here. I'd like to do mine. Whose turn is it? Say me or mine. I'll sign that just by patting my chest. So it's another sign that you can add. And we've already talked about those little target words that you can do. Prepositions are great. It's great to teach prepositions with water play here. So in, down, up. And you want to do it receptively first. I sort of mentioned that back in the receptive language section. But do it with expressive language too. Kids have to understand it before they say it. So think about those uh, kinds of words too. Certainly water is a target word here. Uh, any kind of word that you think about that you find yourself saying frequently as you're playing with a child, that's a target word. If you use it over and over enough for you to think, hmm, I keep saying cloth or wash or whatever, you make that a target word. So uh, think about that. Now remember, you've got to model your word or sign many times at the appropriate time during the play routine well before we expect a child to say the word or use the sign himself. So be sure that you're doing that and giving him enough time to be able to learn and remember what you're saying. Now, I think I've mentioned this on the show before, but my daughter is in grad school now, and it has been so fun for me. You know, it's her first semester, so in summer school, and she's seeing kids in the clinic without me. You know, she's seen kids with me forever. But it's so fun for her to call and tell me, how things are working and how things are going with her little first little client. And it was so interesting what she said a couple of weeks ago. She said, you know, and she's paired at the university she goes to, a first-year grad student is paired with a second-year grad student for every kid in clinic. And she'll say, my second year is how she refers to it. My second-year person talking about how, you know, making progress and stuff. And she said, you know, Mom, I just want to say, I'm still at the teaching phase with this little girl. She's not going to be able to respond yet because she doesn't understand it. And, my goodness, I wanted to reach through the phone and squeeze her to death for knowing that and saying that and understanding that this early in her career. We've got to give kids time to learn it before we expect them to pop it right out. And so, and she's working on gender pronouns. Gosh, a three-year-old who's doing great. She's working on he and she, and that's certainly different than we see with our little guys in early intervention or little guys with more significant issues. But she gets it with it's it's about teaching not testing and if you've never read that post that teach me to talk it's a great post i read it years and years ago for a little boy of family that i was seeing because mom was super focused on results 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 and i kept saying he doesn't understand it yet we've got to give him some time let's let's focus on teaching him not testing him and sometimes as therapists we're so focused on data you know and we don't want to write that he was only 10 percent accurate <laughs> When it's the truth, because he's still learning. We've still got to get it in, that input piece. So think about that as you're working with children and thinking. And you, that might be something that in our earlier question from that parent, that that therapist might be saying to mom, hey, this is, just, this is teaching for us. He's in this learning phase. We're not going to hear it yet. Boy, we've got to teach it for a while before we can expect him to sign it or say it or follow the direction. So be sure that you're talking with parents about that as therapists. And, and parents, you need to remember that you got to teach it first, and you might have to teach it for days and days or sometimes weeks and weeks or months and months before we actually get it back from a kid. And that's okay because that's just how their little systems are wired, and, and we just know this teaching phase has to occur. All right, let's finish up with area here for our big goals 
with uh, water play in that last area. Do you remember what it is? Again, this is a pop question, pop quiz, this question, speech intelligibility. So how well can you understand what this child is trying to say? So you can target lots of new sounds or patterns, even with an activity like water play. And sometimes we think for a child who's all the way up to working on articulation, that they would not enjoy this little simple water play routine. And that is just false. They, kids love it. This, toddlers, early preschoolers, and it's such a good break for a child, especially if you're doing more intense kind of articulatory work and a speech intelligibility focus. Goodness knows if you're doing flashcards or an app with a kid, you need to stop sometime and play. <laughs> and this would be a really good activity for you to do as far as targeting speech intelligibility. And it's fast. So you can work on a little artic focus with something like this and then go on to another activity and maybe come back to that. Or if you're a parent and you're thinking, hey, I'm supposed to be working on you know, initial consonant sounds with him. Let's say he's a kid that leaves off the beginning sounds of words. And you think, I can't work on this all day and have it be fun. In the bathtub, you can. Or in the baby pool, you can. Because it's, it's a novel setting. And they might do more for you in that situation than they would if you were doing more drill kinds of activities. So when we look at articulation with children, remember we have six big goals with this, or six areas. So syllableness, first of all, make sure that the child is including the correct number of syllables in a word. So let's take the word water. How many syllables does that have? Two, water, okay? And so if the kid's just saying wa, problem with syllableness. And so we're going to need to target that pattern so that he can become more intelligible as he speaks. So think about your other two-syllable words. You could say washcloth might be a syllable that you, or a word that you would use to target syllableness in this activity. So just think about, again, what you might say and how you might work on syllableness with uh, this water play routine. Let's move on to vowel differentiation. That just means he uses the correct vowel sounds, you know, right sounds in the right places. So I like to target words with initial vowels, especially when we first start working on vowel differentiation because you can really emphasize that. And you can certainly, you're doing vowel differentiation here with a target word like squeeze because you're really emphasizing that long E sound, the E. So if a kid uses a neutral vowel like uh, and he's saying, you know, as you're saying squeeze, you need to work on vowels. And so you might do some things here, like some tactile cues, you know, maybe touch either side of his mouth to get that spread going with his lips. You're going to really point at your mouth. I always say tease when I'm trying to get a kid to do an E. So that might be something that you might do to work on vowels. Also, I started talking about this, and then I got off topic. Surprise, surprise. But initial vowel sounds like in and up. Those are an out, pull the clock out, and really emphasize that vowel sound. Make it long, you know, extend it. And again, do everything you can with your face to give a child those cues. And so he can hear that differentiation. He's got to hear it before he can produce it. That's a real fun way to do it with toddlers. So great, great activity for that. Another goal or the third speech intelligibility goal that we use with toddlers is switching vowels from syllable to syllable. You can do that. You'll have to sort of think about what you're doing here, but, you know, water. Now, don't 
freak out if a kid is not doing an R. My goodness, an R is the late, you know, one of the last constant sounds to develop. But a lot of kids will do an uh, so we might hear wa-uh for water, and that's perfectly fine for children who are at this, you know, young developmental level. Uh, back to syllableness, you know, even wah-wah is an okay approximation for water, and we hear it all the time. You know, even typically developing kids will say wah-wah for water. That's the process of duplication or reduplication really early phonological pattern and that's okay uh, but if you could, this is a good activity for getting that vowel changed in that second syllable so that's a good good target word for this here um, you could do phrases here too to kind of get that vowel differentiation so my turn you know that's a good one to do um, Think about what you can do, you know, more, please, you know, and sing-songy helps a lot with switching vowels and vowel differentiation and switching that vowel from syllable to syllable. So more, please, or, you know, washcloth. And think about how you can use your intonation with your 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 tone, with your your voice is higher and then lower. So th sometimes that makes it easier for kids. And you'll hear them. They might go, ah, oh, you know, and they're still using the wrong vowel or a neutral vowel, and that's okay. Think about it in terms of, you know, the prosodic changes. That might be progress for children. So look at that. Think about that. Think about that. Uh, think about how a child is changing what he says and how that's different from what you usually hear. And, again, it's all a process of baby steps or, you know, little micro changes that we're making with a child. So that's a good one, too. So switching vowels from syllable to syllable. The fourth goal that or focus that we have with, speech intelligibility, initial consonants, and we've already talked about water, you know, working on that beginning W sound, and we already talked about mine and more and please, you know, those are our M's and P's, our bilabials, and then uh, just, again, any target word that you're using, think about for kids who need to work on that, getting the first sound of the word as close to correct as you can get it. And then finally, the final consonant sounds. And I'm not crazy about working on final consonant deletion with kids in early intervention because I think about that goal as achieving final consonant sounds. That happens developmentally at about 36 months. But boy, in early intervention, our kids sometimes do not get there before we send them off to another therapist in the preschool program. So don't freak out if you aren't working on that very hard with very many kids because you're not supposed to. Developmentally, again, that happens later. I think about final constant deletion as a process for kids who've had language delays. It's going to take longer. They may be three and a half or, you know, close to four before we start to hear some ending consonant sounds, and that's okay. So just think about that, and as you are targeting final consonants, words like mine or, you know, uh, I have used some other little water toys that they kind of pop up out of the water, so pop with that final P, certainly up, down. So think about your sounds that you can get there if you are feeling like final consonants are an appropriate goal for that child. All right, so what did we do? We took a water play activity. We took one common routine that every family uses in the bathtub or the pool or wherever they are and we walked through oh several goals several things that you can help a family work on and so if you're a home-based therapist and you're thinking I do not have enough stuff to do today especially if you don't take in toy bags 
say, let's do some water play. Where do you want to do it, Mom? Are we going to put them in the tub, or do you want to do it at the sink? And just be kind of brave <laughs> and get out there. And if you feel uncomfortable with a kid being naked with you in the tub, then say, hey, let's put some little swimming trunks on him, or can we leave his diaper on, or whatever, you know, if you feel like a mom's going to be weird about that. And my experience, most moms are not, but I have had therapists question me about that before, so I wanted to mention it. So super, super fun activity whether a kid's coming to see you in a clinical setting or school setting or you are going to his home to provide services. So I hope that helps you walk through those four big areas. Next week, we're going to do it with a new activity. I haven't quite decided what that's going to be yet, but it'll probably be something related to this that all kids have, maybe something with blocks or with balls or something like that, or even books, maybe something like that. So we'll walk through using the four big areas with a new activity next week, and I hope you will join me for that show. Thanks so much. I had a great time on this show. I hope you had just as much fun listening, and go do your job, therapist. You rock. I'll talk to you next